In 2020, when the global pandemic hit, it was a very, very scary time. We survived on the smell of an oily rag and we were running out of cash like pretty quickly. A unicorn in business is a privately owned startup company valued at over $1 billion. We're Ben and Joel. We believe every human deserves access to a world-class education. And our tech startup, Vigo, is trying to make that a reality. Now, we're not from Silicon Valley. In fact, we're from the opposite side of the world, Australia. We have a billion dollar vision and we need to launch into the US in 12 months. In many ways, the odds are stacked against our startup, but we've just been given a miracle. The number one business coach in the world, Matt Mashari, has just agreed to coach us for one year. Matt's not your usual coach, and we're not your usual founders. This is the story of that year, raw and unfiltered. Episode one, how a small Australian startup landed the world's best business coach. Chapter one, the beginning. So Joel and I, we met at university, at the University of Queensland. We were studying civil engineering. And in our friend group, we had this friend, Tony, who was an exceptional human and, and so much potential. But for reasons outside of his control, learning got really hard for him. All sorts of personal circumstances. The university should have surrounded Tony with all of the support services that they typically give to students, tutors, mentors, counsellors, advisors, and everything in between. The universities, they have all of these people. They're spending millions of dollars on them per year. They should have surrounded Tony in those resources, and they didn't. And Tony fell through the cracks of our university, and all of his potential was, was lost. You know, 30 to 50% of university students around the globe are dropping out and failing their degrees. And in that, most students are experiencing moderate to extreme stress. So when Joel and I graduated, we said, I, you know, I think we can do something about this. I think there needs to be a platform for this. The Uber for tutoring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're talking At that Uber time, Uber, Uber for anything was just cool, right? Very quickly, it became very uncool to compare any of your startups to Uber. <laughs> At yeah. the time, we were like, Uber for dogs, Uber for this, Uber for <laughs> And you're like, Uber for tutoring, that's a thing. We could totally be that. And that's when, you know, Vigo was born. Ben's answer just then is like a very good podcast answer. If I tell you like the unpolished version, I only just recently was able to like admit to myself that the education system and my educational experiences at uni were like really shit and I got let down by the system because I was always like, no, I, I had such amazing outcomes. One is that I got to meet my wife and like, that's been amazing. She's now my greatest source of joy. The second thing is that I got to meet Ben, who I would say is my professional soulmate, who is like this other, <laughs> like, <laughs> it sounds crazy to call someone you work with like a soulmate, but that is genuinely how I describe Ben all the time. Because for the past decade, we've spent literally every day together. Ben was best man at my wedding, did a talk. I was best man at Ben's wedding, did a talk. We also have matching tattoos. And at Ben's Bucks party, he got my initial tattooed on his butt. The thing that makes Vigo special is actually the friendship that is like at the core of this. And that didn't start in Vigo. It started like over a decade ago when we started studying together. So, and then Ben got this like 
the best job you could get out of uni. And he did it because he networked it. He, he didn't deserve that job by any means, but he did network himself into this job. And as soon as he did that, he networked me into that job as well. For the next couple of years, Ben and I spent every single day together again. And it quickly became apparent that we wanted to give back so much more than this workplace could allow us. We just wanted more to give. And it's not so clear like, oh, this Tony story happened. That is the story that we like to rely upon because that is a true story that our friend actually did go through this really fucked up life experience and drop out. And that is like an amazing story. But Ben and I just had this untapped potential and energy and impatience that we we wanted to give back. I'm Ben Hart's mother. Uh, My name is Karen. I was so nervous. In our generation, you got a job and you stayed in that job for the whole of your life. And if you changed it, oh my gosh, you were out there. Well, you quit working in engineering and you came on today and said, Dad, I don't want to design drains all my life. And I thought that was okay. John and I were both, and I don't, I'm surprised that he's forgotten this because I remember talking to John about it and he was like, well, do we say something? And I said, no, it's his life. But I believed in you the whole time. Slowly, we started to make progress. Students joined the app, then some more students joined the app. And then suddenly we had universities tapping us on the shoulder saying, hey, come do this for us. Please come do this for us. And then all of a sudden, the rest of the universities in Australia started paying actual attention to us. And then when we finally got an office, it was this tiny piece of shit office that was like almost dark inside. And it was one and a half meters by one and a half meters. So three of us cramped in there. And it was just constantly us coming up with new ideas about how to make something happen. Because that's all we wanted to do. We just wanted to make one more thing happen, one more win. And I, I tell you what, it sounds like a nightmare, but it was so much fucking fun. Chapter two, the crisis. It's March 20th, 2020. Here are today's headlines. Australia has become the latest country to close its borders with a ban on all non-residents and restrictions. In 2020, when the global pandemic hit, It was a very, very scary time. Our investors weren't sure if we were doing the right things. In fact, a lot of our, a few of our investors said that they believed universities wouldn't exist in six months. (laughs) So we didn't raise in 2020. We survived on the smell of an oily rag. And not only did we survive and we thrived through that, we then actually got a bit cocky and we decided to invest into the business again. So we we decided to hire a bunch of people into our product team because we knew that was the worst part of our business. It was the first time we'd ever invested in having a quote product team, which was like a team of people who were actually led by someone with product experience. And we're really excited about that. But it very quickly at the start of last year became clear that a whole of our product team was not paying off. And that like huge investment, which was like causing a huge cash flow issue was like not giving us any benefit. And I like at a couple of points fucking hated our head of product. (laughs) So going into 2021, we had all these new product people on the books, not a lot of revenue, and we were running out of cash like pretty quickly. And an investment round had just fallen over. Yeah. We were like, yeah, actually that's so close to doing it like a solid round on decent terms because of complications with COVID that fell over. 
And it was only that time that we first lent into that risk that we we're putting other people at risk, like their livelihood at risk, that became way more real to us. Because before it was just us. Mm. We were running out of cash quite significantly, looking down the barrel of a gun of maybe three to six months at best. Our accountant was freaking out. Just had a bit of a freak out. I was updating our org chart and realized that it said that we have 15 full-time staff. I'm thinking, how do I ensure that we raise more money? How much safety should we, should we really have here? I'm thinking, holy shit, is what I'm thinking. The miracle we needed was investment and our business needed to go well beyond Australia to make that a viable option. ASU GSV is the biggest education conference in the world. We have this one shot in San Diego in April to break into the US. Every single person that matters in education, that matters in investment, that matters in the world we care about is in one building. And it's our chance to actually get in front of the people we need to meet. It's our chance to make the splash we need. It's our chance to help the students we believe we can help. And if we miss this conference, we miss the opportunity to, to make the impact on the thousands of people that are going to be there. We miss the chance. Really, we just miss our chance. ASU GSV is the combination of Arizona State University, the leading tech university in the world, period, and GSV, Global Silicon Valley, which is a VC firm in Silicon Valley and, and you know, quite a large one. These two guys, they come together to run the world's biggest ed tech conference. Everyone who gets ed tech is going to be in that building. And in three days, if you play your cards right, you can gain a year's worth of traction. I attended in 2019 before the pandemic. We barely had anything to sell at all. And I came out of that with Vigo's two biggest contracts that we had ever sold all through handshake deals. And I met with like 15 investors. It's the reason we didn't give up. But then the pandemic happened and we were, we were locked to Australia for two years and we couldn't come back. In that time, we've built ourselves into now quite a significant global company. And ASU GSV 2022, it is our chance to go back to America with a vengeance and fully launch ourselves into that country in three days. That's our chance to come back with a real company and hit America right in its guts. I got nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter three, help self. The very first version of Vigo um, was called UQ Ange Tutors. And the way it kind of actually all kicked off is that Ben read this book called The 4-Hour Workweek. And then he was like, Joel, this book ruined my life. I need you to read this book. And I was like, what? I, <laughs> I'm not going to read you a dumb book. You said it ruined your life. Uh, he convinced me to read it. So I went home and I could not stop reading and I stopped the entire night reading that book. And I came back to work the next day and said, you piece of shit, you ruined my life. Because it just made me think that we don't need to be engineers. We don't need to be on this journey that we're on, we can go and make a difference. Joel and I, we're self-help junkies. So we created this podcast called Help Self. Every month, Joel and I would pick a book, we would read it, we would live it out to its absolute completeness. 
because we were doing it together, it would hold us accountable to get that book done. And we had this amazing experience. Like suddenly our lives got super organized. It was so much fun. Like a couple of hundred people listened to it and we were like, holy shit, hundred people listened to this rambling. And so we got that momentum and that energy and we kept going and we, we, we got another book, another time management book, a meditation book. Then we decided we needed to do a book that was framed around all of the challenges, all the business challenges that Joel and I were going through at Vigo. There was one of our friends, he was like, dude, you got to read this book that came out last year. It's called The Great CEO Within. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And we opened up the book, started reading it, and we were like, holy shit, this book was handwritten for us. You know, so many of the business books that are out there, it's these vague general business principles that are wishy-washy, tied up with a bunch of rugby stories, and that's the end of the book. Matt Mashari's book was written for startup founders who had just reached what the business calls product market fit, which is about that million dollars in in revenue point, which we were approaching. It was basically a how-to manual of what to do now, how to turn that million dollar company into a billion dollar company. And for Joel and I, it was absolutely perfect. It was the boss that we we missed having in our corporate world that we could now have in our startup world. One thing about the book that I loved was that it was the first book that was like super opinionated. So like Ben said, there's all these books that say vague stuff, but there's a lot of books that say, there's no real way to do this. But Matt would say, do this exactly. And then he would shit on people too. Like don't fucking give money to PR agencies. They're a waste of money. And like, I love like just how strong the language is in that book. Like it just resonated so strongly with me because that's the kind of personality I have where it's like, I want black and white. And this book was black and white. Like there is a right way to run a business and this is the way to run that business. Chapter four, Matt Mashari. Why people need to care about Matt Mashari. In the nineties, he forged his name in startup celebrity, Silicon Valley. He had a few massive companies and massive exits. And even at one point he held the record for the biggest funding round ever raised out of Silicon Valley. So he was a rock star. In, in the 2000s, Matt went and took all of his lessons and, and his, uh, all of his wealth that he had accumulated in, from um, startups. And he actually went and did some amazing life things, including of which directing in a, an Academy-nominated documentary in the favelas of South America. When he came back to Silicon Valley, he's like, I don't want to start another company. It's like, I don't want to go through all that drama, right? but I, I do really miss the action. He's like, I'm going to coach other people. And very quickly, Matt became one of, if not the best startup coach in the world. So Matt built out a list of coaches, the CEO of Reddit, Clearbit, Coinbase, Brex, Grammarly, Robinhood, basically the creme de la creme of startups, of decacorns in Silicon Valley. Matt was coaching the CEOs and they were saying crazy things about him. You know, Steve from Reddit, you know, said that within the first hour of meeting Matt, Matt added tens of millions of dollars to the valuation of Reddit, just with, you know, 60 minutes of time. Look, don't just take it from us that Matt's a big deal. Here's some words from Brian Armstrong, co-founder and CEO of Coinbase. I would absolutely recommend uh, people work with you, Matt. I've gotten an immense amount of value out of it. 
on the one hand, there's just a bunch of tactical things, which is like how to run meetings more efficiently and how to get your executive team to have clear roles. And, and there's a bunch of tactical stuff like that. But I think even maybe more important than that, you're incredibly good at just piercing through to the heart of the issue that's at hand, extracting truth out of people when they're they're really struggling something or they're not sure they, there's something that they know they need to do, but they don't want to do it. And you help push them in that direction. And I think there's been some key moments in the history of Coinbase where you've really helped guide the company or shepherd it to a much better outcome and, and helped me in those moments immensely. So thank you. Matt became the best startup coach in the world. He could only really coach 20 people at a time and that wait list was growing. You had to be worth over a billion dollars. You had to be in Silicon Valley. That was it. But one of his coachees, Alex from Clearbit says, you need to write this book. And so Alex and Matt wrote the book together. At the end of every podcast, we just gotten into a habit of saying like, and we're going to get the author on. And we started just making loose promises that we're going to get authors on the podcast because we thought it was really funny to us. That's why in our podcast, we start making all these jokes. We're going to email Matt. So Matty. <laughs> Matt, respond to our messages. We yes. want you on the podcast. We're emailing every author we want you on. I won't give up till you give in. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Ben just ringing me out of the blue. He said, have you checked your emails? I was like, no. He said, Matt responded. I was like, who are you talking about? He said, Matt Mishara responded to our email. And I just like immediately started laughing like, holy shit, how did this guy respond to our email? He replied the next day at 8 a.m. in the morning. He said, I listened to the podcast, full stop. It's great, full stop. How can I say no when you guys are willing to live it? I'd be happy to be on the podcast. All the best, Matt. And then his phone number. <laughs> God. We are very, very uh, humbled uh, to be joined today by Matt Mashari. Matt, welcome. Thank you, Ben and Joel. It's great to be here. You guys shouldn't be humbled. You guys earned this because when I uh, listened to your first podcast and saw, first of all, how you read every word of the book, and then second of all, how you started to put it to work in your life, how can I say no? Two guys that are actually living the book. I mean, my God, that's, that's super fun. I remember having to describe to my parents what a big deal it was. The closest thing I could do was to relate it to sports for my dad. And I said, this is as if I am local Brisbane-based boxing kid, hopeful, and Matt Mashari is Mike Tyson. We immediately, as soon as he said he's coming on the podcast, made an agreement between ourselves that we were going to get him to coach us. Like that was the only next possible step. So we had a plan. We formatted our questions in such a specific way that it would crescendo in them, in us, asking him in a secretive, like backwards way to be our coach. He immediately just said like, no, I won't coach you. I won't coach anyone like you. I'm too busy. Don't waste your time. Go and get another coach. Oof. I don't think it's possible only because I'm, I'm totally full and, and I, uh, I just want to spend more time doing that. And I was like, oh, God. But then after that call, like we stayed on the line for another half an hour, hour. It was like this amazing conversation. And we realized that he lives his life in a way which is that, how does he have fun? If something's interesting to him, if something gives him energy, if something is fun for him, then he gets value out of this. We also realized that he wants to share this with the world. He wants to show people, but all the coaching he does are with people that are under extreme NDAs and, and things that can't be discussed. 
we are a radically transparent company. We we have no secrets to hide. We're radically transparent people. And we want to share that on this podcast, but we're happy to use that as a leverage point to help Matt as well. So he'd already said no on our podcast that he wouldn't coach us. He doesn't coach people like us. But we made that video pitch. Matt, great to talk to you again, mate. Now, this is going to seem completely out of line and self-centered, but you know we're about to begin raising our seed round to take our company, Vigo, global. We know you exclusively work with founders based in the Valley and you have a full plate right now. Is it ridiculous to ask you to coach us through this sprint period? We know you only choose projects that give you energy, so we want to make this as interesting for you as possible. We want to open up this coaching sprint, our business, the mission, and your methods up to the world and turn this coaching sprint into a high production podcast mini series. We're really keen to hear your thoughts, mate. Can we jump on a call and chat this out? And we threw it at Matt and then we didn't get a reply for weeks. And then out of like nowhere, you just get this email back being like, all right, you've piqued my interest. Let's chat. That was it. That, that was the email. Chapter five, Matt says yes. Let's dive into this, this meeting and then we'll yeah. see where it goes. And you guys yeah, yeah. are super fun and super engaging. The fact that you're doing all this extra stuff does make it more fun for me and does make me want to spend more time with you guys. So that's all good. A lot of the things you're dealing with are way smaller company issues than I'm used to dealing with and writing about. The only saving grace is I have now started my own software company and I'm in the exact position that yeah. you're in. And I'm now able to experiment with different techniques that, frankly, are pretty radical. And my, my founders weren't willing to fully do, but I'm willing to fully do them. And yeah. I'm finding they're working. Not all yeah. of them. Some of them are complete failures. And then I won't <laughs> recommend those anymore. But a lot of these are. So my coaching at this point is not about sharing, well, this is what Coinbase and Reddit and Brex do. No, no, no. I'm now sharing with you, this is what I do. And so... Mm -hmm. It's a point of reference of one. I want to warn you about that. This is not, you know, scanned across 20 successful companies, but it is working for me. And yeah. it's also very, like, I can get very detailed. I think one thing we could promise is that where other founders might not be radical to implement everything you're saying, we are. <laughs> so Awesome. We'll see. We, we're, happy to, we're happy to try and experiment. We, we love that shit. All right. Right on. I love it. We got one coaching session with him. And as soon as we got one coaching, we're like, oh, well, of course we can get permanent coaching with him. We talked about scope here. We're going to have to take whatever we can get. Yeah. We've got this first meeting. I don't know that we're going to get another, but let's just take whatever we can get. We are just so stoked to be here. So we're here to be whatever is possible. Um, and we're grateful for, for anything. Chapter six, deciding what issue to take to our first coaching session. I was almost in two minds. I was like, A, do we just be super honest about like, this is how fucked up our company is? <laughs> With the idea being that he actually is able to give us the best advice in the moment, but with the risk of, we just lose him completely because he just thinks we're shit. Do we do that or do we try and pat it with lots of fun relationship stuff <laughs> with Matt so that he, de he decides that even though we're super fucked up, he really likes us as people? <laughs> or do we try and carve out a narrative that makes us seem a bit better than we are to maybe impress him a little bit? It was just like 
what can we embellish? Like we're like orders and orders of magnitude smaller than anyone else he works with. Anything we embellish isn't going to impress him. So we were like, all right, we'll lay things out exactly as they are. It was clear to us that something in our product team was not working. Even after hiring all these people, the only product that was getting built was still from Stephen. Our co-founder was the only person in, in a sea of people that was able to do anything. We were just so like running so close to the wire, but we had some successes. You know, what Vigo does, it actually, it, it suited the pandemic quite well. We could really help universities help their students during that time. So we had a bit of a bump. We decided to lean in and spend all that money essentially on hiring all these engineers and product people because we saw that Stephen couldn't just keep carrying the product so completely alone. Then fast forward six months, we've spent all that cash reserve savings and the product has barely improved outside of what Stephen has done. We're looking at it like, what is happening here? Is this us? Is it them? And all we know is that if we don't make a call on that very soon, we are going to run the company completely out of money. When you've got the smartest mind in the world, at your disposal to help you solve a problem, it's pretty clear that there was one part of our business that was fundamentally broken. So effectively, for the life of Vigo, we've had Mm -hmm. a lack of effective leadership in the tech side of the business. Mm -hmm. One of our founders is an absolutely amazing developer, like unparalleled. We've never been able to find someone to come even close to him, but he has lacked on the leadership and management side of things. So we we kind Mm -hmm. of just like have a group of people that are inexperienced trying to work out what to do. We also still have 99% of our development capacity coming from our founder, even though we have four people in that team, which is extremely ineffective um, and we're spending a whole lot of money. The head of engineering has, has taken some great steps to be a better leader, but he still hasn't done it before. And of the three engineers, the founder, Stephen, is doing 99% of the actual production. Yes. And the other two are standing around basically watching. Yeah. Stephen is one of the main reasons Vigo exists. So before Stephen, it was Ben and I had all of these bright ideas about how to build a platform and and get this off the ground. And and Stephen was the person who came in and made Vigo a reality. So Stephen is like a high school dropout. He was like a factory worker for years. He's worked in call centers. Every single job he's been in, he immediately starts getting promoted up the ranks because he's way too smart to be in a factory. And for five years of Vigo, he built everything. He designed like the user experience. Like I look back on the formative years of Vigo and I struggle to understand what Ben and I gave to the company because it was so much of just us running around confused. And Stephen just continually built and provided value and, and argued with us about what was real and what we thought could be done. You are at a beautiful stage. You're at a beautiful stage where you're small and you haven't expanded yet. The problem with hiring people on is that they don't have the context you do. But if you bring them in and you immediately leave and now you say go, they have no context and they lose all of your knowledge. I think that's what's happened here. You have a three-person team. One person does 98% of the work. The other two don't do anything, not because they're not capable, but because that one person, it's like building a house. The one person built the entire house. They know where every pipe and electrical wire and shingle mm-hmm. and doorknob is. And to add on to that house, you have to know where everything is. So the others are kind of sitting on the sideline going like, I don't know. I've got to ask Stephen, how does this interact? So he's got to train them. 
But in every minute that he spends training them or answering their questions or looking at their, you know, reviewing their pull requests is time that he himself is not building. And because he knows where everything is, if he just builds everything, he can build 10 times as much in that minute as that person can with him reviewing their Mm -hmm. pull requests. And so it actually is much more effective to have it just be Steven right now, unless you can go create very independent silos that they can own and work on themselves. I feel like maybe it's worth firing both of these people and just going out to market and hiring someone else because I don't think it would even necessarily change our development speed at all. I don't know. That's a, like I don't know if that's the right thing, but it feels right in this moment. Stephen, he's a blessing and a curse because he's so incredibly talented. It was so hard for us to ever get to a point where we could hire another engineer because they couldn't do everything. But it's not normal to be able to do everything, but we just found this kind of unicorn to join us. We had this assumption that co-founders must be leaders, meaning they have to manage people. And that is completely not the case, particularly with technical co-founders. We had a lack of effective leadership, not because Stephen was ineffective. It's because we put someone in the wrong role. Like it was, it was Ben and I's fault, essentially. Like we forced Stephen into this role that he shouldn't have been in and that he didn't want to be in. And that caused just tension and stress for Stephen. And when I went out to look for engineers, I just thought, how can we get the cheapest possible engineers for the team? And I went out just for the sake of more engineers as quickly as I can. And I found them and I brought engineers on. So I'd actually never hired engineers before. I didn't even know how to, to judge if an enge- what an engineer's skill set was. And I didn't take the time to understand what the problem is that we we're trying to solve and who the right people were for that. So I just ended up with these engineers who were really nice people. And I hired people that I just really liked, that I really got along with, that I had fun hanging out with, that couldn't help us. They, they didn't have the right skill set. They didn't know how to, to fold in with what we're trying to do. They didn't know how to move us forward. Well, here's the reason to only hire 10X engineers and pay them as such. You can hire a bunch of junior or mid-level engineers, pay them whatever rate there is, and they won't produce anything. Whereas you hire one super senior engineer who's as good or better than Steven is, pay them 3X the amount, but you'll get... 10x the production so they'll actually produce the same amount of steven because steven will be willing to work with them we'll be willing to talk to them we'll be willing to show them the tool because he knows that the time invested in them will actually pay back from long distance i'm not in your shoes but you're you're describing exactly our setup we are now going and hiring more engineers but they are so freaking senior and we're we're paying them outrageous amounts of money because we know that they're the only ones that are worth it I think that most people just pile on people and it's the mythical man month. You end up creating negative value. It has this like really uncanny way of asking very simple questions in a very kind way that makes you come to a conclusion. And uh, so he walked me kind of through the problem and then at no point did Matt ever really say, you have to fire all these people? Because he would ne- that's not his kind of like coaching style, but he kind of just like, I guess like made me see the reality of what was happening and how fucked up it was. And so I came to this conclusion after kind of like working it through with him and Ben and, and it was just clear that our whole dev team was fucked and the whole team had to go. And that is something that like causes me like really deep anxiety like 
we have all these people that you invest so much time and energy into, but then like having to let them go is like, it's like this crushing thing. Like even when you are pissed off at someone, like you don't, I hate the idea of like letting someone go. It's like understanding we're going to have to like let go of an entire team felt like this impossible task. But at the same time, it immediately felt like this is extremely right. And I've known this for the past six months. I just couldn't see it through the weeds I was in. But yeah, it, it came as both a relief, but also deep fear. Next week on the podcast, we're going to show you what it's like to have a coaching session with Matt. And I tell you what, it's not what you think it is. The way that I'm going to gain trust with you is if you tell me something really hard hitting. If you don't, then either you think I'm God and then I'll think you're stupid or you're withholding from me. So until you really open up and hit me really hard in the gut, once you do that, I'll be like, okay, now I trust these guys. Every single session that we have with Matt is a roller coaster of emotions. Are you in? Let's go. If you're enjoying this podcast, subscribe in your app of choice so you don't miss out. There's a new episode every two weeks. The Unicorn Launcher is a Lower Street production.